1: everybody and welcome back to the podcast where i bring you the best and brightest from the world of business marketing and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward tribe i am extremely excited about my guest today someone who i've known for over 20 years Yeah, it's, it's wow <laughs> life is moving fast man um and i first met my guest joel lundenfeld my freshman year of college at university at buffalo he was that cool yeah you were, you were cool back then I think he had long hair, cool older frat dude who played guitar and was really easy to talk to, and it seemed like he knew it all. And over the years, Joel was like a big brother through the fraternity stuff and, more importantly, life. And he was critical in, in introducing me to my first internship with the Buffalo Sabres and, later in life, paving the way for me at VaynerMedia. And I am thankful and always grateful for that, which takes us to the present. Joel has been one of the top influencers in the digital marketing and social media space for the last 20 years. Yes, he's an old G there and has recently shifted his focus to the cannabis industry. And he joined Northcal Cannabis in 2019 as the CMO to lead communication strategy, development, and really getting this brand off the ground. It's amazing, we're gonna dig into that. And before Northcal, Joel spent six years at a little company called Twitter as a VP of Global Brand Strategy, responsible for business and consumer marketing all around the globe. And before Twitter, he was one of the first employees and actually eventually the CEO of Moxie Interactive, a leading digital agency with all the Fortune 50, 100 companies out there just crushing it. He's an award-winning marketer, entrepreneur, free thinker who understands cultural trends, emerging technology, and the customer journey, and in 2015, inducted into the Advertising Hall of Fame. Do they have your plaque like a gold base mm-hmm. on the wall? Yeah, it's cement. Is, is there a real Hall of Fame? Color. Like a side profile kind of thing? Like the base, is, is there a hall? Is there an actual hall? Not a hall,
0: but a, there's Anyone? a website, a website that acts as a hall.
1: So it's a virtual hall of fame. So let, let's get to it. We're going to talk about cannabis. We're going to talk about branding. We're going to talk about life. Joel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. Good stuff. So I think I did a really good job of kind of giving the bio and everything. And I love your story. And, and I said it again, it firsthand, really inspired me throughout my career to watch you someone a few years older than me really crushing it and navigating New York City, navigating where you were in Atlanta, you were like all over the place and you and I talked a couple of weeks ago and I call it seasons and you call it chapters of your yeah. life and your career. Let's start with chapter one. Let's talk about when you came out of school. Let's fill everyone in with kind of where your mind was at back then. What was in 1999. Yeah. Yeah. What was happening in the world in 99?
0: Yeah. So let's see. Uh, My last couple years in college, I was interning at the Sabres and just learning marketing for the first time. I was an anthropology major. So, you know, study of people, study of culture, study of trends. Looking back now, it makes perfect sense. Looking, you know, from 1999 graduating, I was worried I was going to be like dusting bones in the museum. Um, (laughs) But, you know, fortunately, through the Sabres and through our fraternity and through Josh Arkin, my big brother uh, actually got an internship at a company called Exceed in New York. So Exceed was a digital marketing company. They were a few other companies coming together like Fifth Floor Interactive and Blue Sky and it was the, it was 99 it was the beginning 1. of 0. the internet. It was wild. It was before Google. It was literally before Facebook, before Twitter, before before anything. So you know, back then, my first chapter was an intern, and that was a tough decision because here I am graduating college. I think it's a little bit more accepted now to graduate and get an internship, but I graduated college. I was living at home in Brooklyn, you know, waking up every day, you know, navigating my mom in the front door, asking me if I wanted to go fish for dinner. I'm like, I gotta get the fuck out of here, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta do something. An internship, will that do it for me? So um, I decided to take it because it was a whole new career. It was uh, something that we didn't know what to call it. It was digital marketing, but it didn't really even have a name then. What was it?
1: It's computer stuff.
0: My first um, title when I got hired as an intern there was um, strategic, what was it, Uh, 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 manager of strategic alliances, which sounded very like military to me. But really what that was, was the early days of the internet, where We didn't know what things cost. We didn't really have a value exchange. There were no such thing as paid clicks in search yet. And we were literally trading value. So we would have a client, um, J. Jill, a catalog client, for example, and um, we would trade space in Yahoo Shopping, which was this new thing for a a flyer in J. Jill, go to Yahoo Shopping. Or, you know, we called it uh, Ninja Marketing. Ninja Marketing was like, literally going into chat rooms and you know, uh, you know, giving, uh, I guess you would call it like, you know, almost like sponsored posts now where we're trying to get people in regular conversations. So it was the so early really
1: stages called. of influencer marketing, guerrilla online influencer, yeah, influencer marketing. Influencer
0: marketing <laughs> search marketing, search you marketing, know, and we were doing small buys. And I had a great uh, mentor at the time, this guy Ramsey, who unfortunately, you know, he's, he's passed, um, he actually worked for me uh, when I was at Moxie. Um, and he passed away a few years after that. But he taught me by negotiating. You know, I would be negotiating with a with a with a with a print publication, and he would say, "Okay, here's what you say." Then go back, and then I would do that, and he'd say, "Well, here's what they said. What did you say?" So it was really kind of on the ground training, the beginning of the internet, and that led me to move to Atlanta, where they were opening up an office for Exceed. Um, I also had a music career. That I had a, a kind of a handshake promise of development. I'm a singer songwriter. Remember, I used to play at Molly's Pub in, yeah. uh, in Buffalo. Do you know
1: the entire Dave Matthews catalog.
0: And I know I know a lot of songs. Yeah, I definitely know. I sing with my girls now. Joel, so that's, that's a- to be able to go from you know New York and move to Atlanta for the promise of a music career and the promise of be the first person starting a media uh, a media department. At this company, it was, you know, it was 2021 That's and, crazy. and it was chapter one.
1: So just pause there for a second, going back. And I mean, I preach the value of internships and I, and I don't think, I think for me, the most important thing about internships where I preach them, it's more important to learn what you don't like than what you do like. That way, when it comes time to interview, when it comes time for you know your, your first job, you're like, you know, I remember that internship. I, I, I really didn't like the Excel and the pivot tables and all that kind of shit, but I really like the strategy, yada, yada, and, and that, that's kind of what I think. What are, do you remember like a key takeaway? Let's talk about the Sabres, we both had the same internship, yeah, yeah. awesome. Is there for the Stanley Cup and all that kind of cool shit yeah. there. But do you remember like going back, like a key takeaway from your internship days?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you a key takeaway from um, Sabres and then from Exceed. From the Sabres, the things I absolutely did not like was sitting there and you know photocopying hundreds of pages at a time in a in like a really bad suit that they made me wear. That was <laughs> Maybe they relaxed it when you came in there. Um, what I loved was coming up with promotions inside the stadium, like the fish face for um, one of the uh, Vanderkamp fish sticks. Fish face. <laughs> the camera would pan; it would you know land on you, and you'd have to do a fish face, and you would win. Um, And we had sweepstakes and I was like picking the winners and calling them. So it was the beginning of like the first thread of like, oh, there's a creative world out there, uh, marketing. Fast forward to my internship at Exceed and it was the first day that I knew that I had a career. Um, We had a client, I I believe it was uh, Exxon. Uh, No, no, it was uh, Firestone Tires. And we got in a room and came up with this whole idea for this virtual stadium website and how you could tie in things like pizza delivery, or um, you could tie in things like, you know, video. And this was like before streaming video, before anything. The kernel what it was a session where four of us sat in a room, drew out ideas, and then the next day we were presenting them to the client and they liked them. And for me, that was, a, that was the biggest light bulb I ever had in my career. It was, you can create things and then make them, and people will like them. Like that was it was mind blowing that you can think of things and they could come to come to life. And
1: and you felt it, like you felt it inside. you. Like I love what I'm doing here, and this is what I want to be doing.
0: Yeah, I knew it. I I knew it that first moment. I was like, holy shit, this is people are going to listen to me. me. You know, in college, I remember sitting around with a lot of people worried about my career, um, saying like, you know, you're you have an anthropology major. What are you going to do? And I remember saying, I just want to. I want a career where I get. Paid to be a professional version of myself—just you know, ideas, communication—and that's, that's been my career goal always. And you
1: manifested that, and that's what happened. A
0: professional version of yourself.
1: It's crazy. It's crazy to look back and and say, "Wow!" Like I I I thought about it back then, twenty plus years ago, and here I am today. So let's get into the mox the moxy years. I mean, you accelerated really quick in that organization. I think you were the youngest CEO there. Tell
0: us a little bit about that
1: uh, chapter.
0: Yeah. So that was amazing. So I was working at Exceed and. Um, There was a woman named Chris uh, Pinto who came in to talk to us. Can you hear me? A woman named Chris Pinto who came in to talk to us about a project that they needed media for. It was for Verizon. It was when Verizon Wireless was coming together. GTE Wireless, all these companies coming together together as one. And she wanted uh, help pitching the media because they didn't have media capabilities. So um, at the time, I was actually at 360i. Um, I had moved Dentsy. from XE, went to Atlanta, and uh, very quickly not only did my music career not work out, but I got laid off. So it was my first like, wow, okay, this is what life is. This is real. Unfortunately, it was a, a time when a lot of companies were really, you know, hitting it in the internet world. So I had some options and I went to 360i. Mm-hmm. 360i was a great experience. It was, you know, learned a ton there as well, but ultimately it led me to it led me to pitching this business which led me to being hired at Moxie as their first ever media director. That was a small crew, uh, me, Chris, Shelly, uh, Bob, Alan, like that was the team. It was just creative, technology, account management, CEO, media. The tight and, squad there. Yeah. I'd never managed a person in my life, um, never been a director in my life. That was my career goal at the time, to be a media director. And that was, my, that was what I was hired for. So it was, it was fascinating. And that was, a, that was the most incredible uh, experience because it was a time when we were competing with the biggest agencies like Bozell and Lowe, and we were trying to compete to win the Verizon business constantly. And we were just scrappier. We out-innovated everybody. We made up ideas and we made them happen. We used to call it kind of chinning up. Like, if, you know, if you had an idea like, and you pitch it and they take it, chin up, let's get it done. I like it. You know, it was the beginning of us all sitting around the room and starting to ask the question, "Why not us?" And and that's a really important question.
1: Yeah, why not? Why like what, what Just because we're smaller than them, we're just as smart or smart. Our ideas are just as good. We could execute just as well as them. That mindset is critical.
0: Yeah, somebody's got to win this business. Like you know, we won Coca Cola, we won UPS, we won you know all these Fortune one hundred companies in Atlanta. And every time we'd pitch, we'd sit around the room and we'd say, well. Somebody's going to win, why not us? And then, you know, when we got to the bigger building, well, someone's got to, you know, be the biggest agency in Atlanta, why not us? Which we did. We became the biggest agency in the Southeast. And we really led the way for digital marketing in Atlanta. After us, 360i came in there, or 360i started exploding, um, a ton of other companies, uh, Digita started moving in, uh, and it just became a, a digital hub. And that's what we were most proud of in Moxie was, not just the work, but it was like the industry that we were helping. You were create. the
1: pioneers in the southeast. Yeah, you, you laid the groundwork. So how did how did uh, when you got that when you when you when they went to the when they gave you the signal and they called you up to the CEO spot? How did that how did that come to
0: fruition? Yeah, it was interesting. So you know, again, we just like such an awesome, beautiful team. I can't say more incredible things about Chris. She was the first person in my career to see more in me than I saw in myself. Um, and I think that's important. We all need those people. And she was the first one, you know, when I was inducted into the advertising hall of achievement, she went up and gave the, the the speech to introduce me and it meant just, it meant the world to me. Wow. Um, but, uh, she, we had a lot of, it was tough. Uh, it was a tough integration, you know, great company, uh, Zenith Publicis, uh, just small scrappy agency into a bigger company. Just it, you know, it's not for everybody. And, after many years of Chris, you know, working so hard and giving everything up for it, um, the time came for you know her to step down, and they asked me to step up. And I was 29, never managed, you know, before. You know, I had managed these teams. Now I was winning a lot of business. I was a really well-known person within the agency and our clients, and you know, I had leadership skills. So I took on the challenge. And it's another one of those things where you think. If you ever really knew how hard it would be, maybe you wouldn't do it. And I keep on thinking that every everything I've ever done in my life, i awesome. like, thank God I'm naive as hell because naivety is so important.
1: You're right. It opens up what was your what was your first big real fuck up mistake and you're like, shit, there's no one above me, the buck stops with me. I gotta figure the
0: shit out. at CEO. Yeah. It's a great it's a, <laughs> that's a great story and it's a great lesson. Um so you know, when I came in, uh, I had ideas. Uh, when I became CEO, I, h- I had ideas that you know the world was moving quickly, and all the big agencies were trying to get into digital, and all the digital agencies, you know, were trying to kind of win their place in the world. And what I wanted to do was move from being a digital agency to being you know brilliant marketers that are digitally enhanced. And we wanted to bring in. Uh, we did. We brought in you know heavy hitter creative directors that had TV experience and. You know, my, my whole point was I wanted to lead us into a future that people could follow. So <laughs> I, I did this presentation that I, I absolutely loved uh, inside a the movie theater for the company. Uh, we rented out a movie theater, um, had, you know, the several hundred people, I think it was maybe 300 people at the time, come in. And I did this entire presentation. I built it digitally uh, with some help from my creative team. And it was it was just the story of innovation and where we were going. It was super inspiring and everybody was ready to be shot for a cannon. And then it came down to, well, how do we change the actual departments and the way we move to shape to this future? And that's where I made probably the biggest mistake I ever made as CEO there, which was laid out the vision. I brought a pretty large group of people, maybe 20 people across the organization that were leaders together to really figure this out and roll it out. And what I didn't know as a leader at the time was, That sounds really good in theory, but whenever you're talking change, whenever you're talking departmental change, role change, you know, how one role may be minimized in the future or one role may go away. It's all, everybody always asks, what about me? Whether they, it's not about ego. It's not, you know, I'm not saying people are not, it's just, how does this affect me? So protection. Yeah. So, you know, I rolled out the world's worst org change by, having a ton of people as decision makers that were the people that were affected and changed department names and did all these things at once and kind of rolled it all out and presented it. And it was a fucking mess. Um, led to attrition, led to a lot of issues. You know, we recovered from it, but shocked it was the culture. big lesson, which is there's a difference between inclusion and leadership. And there is a line where people really want to be led um, and you want to give inputs and you want to get everyone's inputs, but, you shouldn't have to have them be the the jury and executioner on their own decisions.
1: That's that's a critical point. I'm going to jump ahead for a minute. That a point that you wanted to hit on is really talking about leadership from the heart, right? And mm-hmm. what does that really mean? And were those early lessons really the the foundation to your leadership mindset right now?
0: Yeah, they definitely were. Um, you know, I, you know, just like a baby in the world that like burns their hand one place or falls when they walk this way like you feel your way around things right and you know we're always learning like that and what i realized was like i had a superpower uh, i think everyone needs to know the superpower and my superpower is i can speak to groups of people and give a vision that people want to follow that's like straight up whether it's pitching business or leadership or that's it right so That's a really important skill, but that skill needs a lot of other things underneath it. It needs true authenticity. Um, So I've I've always been very proud of the fact that if you meet me at work, if you meet me at a conference, or if you meet me on the street, or you meet me with my friends, I'm the same person. And I think that's critical. And at the time, it wasn't very popular. This was, you know, 2000, to three. Yeah, but not
1: where we are today with authenticity and vulnerability yeah. and transparency. Yeah, vulnerability,
0: all that. Like that was that was my aha moment. Like you just, you know, I think now people are a lot more who they are at work. I think like the layers, social media, all that stuff has really made the layers kind of disappear. But that was my big, my my big lesson was really got to be authentic. You got to be vulnerable. You got to admit mistakes, um, and I'm very quick to do that. Um, and you got to also make sure that you know when you're bringing people along for a ride, they know their seat.
1: Right so let's talk about that transition from moxie over to Twitter
0: yeah, that was wild so
1: and what's Mox- Jack
0: like is he is he what, whatever yeah. I think yeah I tell you Jack is quick to smile quick to laugh um, he's very very funny actually um, and he's you know he's a very reserved person but what's some of my greatest memories of Twitter where you know in a room with him presenting the new Twitter brand like we did a complete rebrand huge you know, presenting our first, you know, TV spots and outdoor campaigns and just seeing his excitement and his love for advertising was really amazing. He's a big student of advertising.
1: He's also big, quite the quite the visionary too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so let's rewind. It's two thousand eleven. Um I'm living in Atlanta. Um, you know, CEO of Moxie now for a few years. Uh really good life there. You know, great wife, uh Hetty who I met in Atlanta. Actually, working at an advertising agency next to each other when I first moved there, and um, six months pregnant or something like that, you know, with our first daughter, and I, you know, I was feeling the end of my my chapter, um, and it was a combination of things. It was, I think, you know, this is true with Moxie, with Exceed, with Twitter, and you know, will be true in any career I'm in, which is the minute. Your journey starts feeling less like a hike and more like a merry-go-round. That's when it's time to leave, and you know that that to me was happening. It was win another client, expand the business; lose a client, shrink the business. Win another client, expand the business, and I just started thinking, well, you know, in the services world of agencies, like where can I go? And at most, it's just a lot more complex and a lot more clients, and that just wasn't exciting. That's another
1: agency. Mm-hmm. It
0: wasn't it was It was building but it wasn't, it wasn't permanent building. You know, it wasn't building a product, it wasn't building, that was my yearning to, to really do something that's a product that people love. So we were doing a lot of pitching that was Twitter based at the time, and Adam Bain, who was my boss at Twitter, uh, we were working together on the L'Oreal business uh, on the pitch and we had this awesome custom pitch that I worked on directly with Adam. I got Dick Costela, the CEO of Twitter at the time, to record a video for us for the pitch we won it. It was incredible. Um, we won some other business together, and they noticed how I understood the platform. And at the time, we were the biggest advertiser too with Verizon on the platform, and they only had one product there. It was one sponsored search listing. Right. So um, that's when they approached me. You know, could you come on board to help us figure out this advertising business? Um, it was a very small team at the time. A few hundred people at the company. Um, Adam Bain was building a sales team, and it was. You know maybe a hand, uh, ten or so sales folks across the country, and what we realized was people didn't really un- have to understand just why Twitter but how twitter and that was the vision almost build an internal agency inside Twitter interesting build an internal agency that can help educate other agencies and and brands on how to use the platform but back to kind of the transition um the job offer came my way and it just made all the sense in the world i remember after my first conversation with adam we had a drink after uh, in atlanta after you know we, we had a meeting and i called my brother up and i said i'm going to work at twitter i didn't know that, like six months later i'd have to like interview <laughs> meet the board negotiate a package all right. of those things but it was like a movie i actually got my offer at can um oh, really on the beach, sitting with adam with the twitter crew having a drink and that's so awesome had- it was it was great it was that was two thousand eleven I love it yeah started in, yeah, in two thousand eleven and that was a wild time
1: I love it it's funny you mentioned that too i I was having a conversation with somebody the other day i I remember almost all the jobs that I've had when I actually got the offer you know where I was I remember the Vayner one too uh, we were doing we started construction on my house the day we started construction and I was sitting on my front steps of my house that we just bought when I got the offer letter from Vayner so it's always interesting to remember those points so the 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 Twitter journey. I mean, you were there for you know a pretty exceptional growth period yeah. um, in the company. I mean, you saw it go from I, I don't know what the numbers are from X amount of followers to the next. But what was like you know the the, the big innovation that you helped shepherd into Twitter?
0: Yeah. Well, first I think my big lesson when I first Please. joined there, and that that led to an innovation. Um, you know, I think everyone's familiar with imposter syndrome, uh-huh. um, and I think healthy people have that. Um, you know, don't believe your own bullshit. Um, no one, no one is as good as they think they are ever. Um, and you know, and that's just, that's important. I've spoken to some of the most brilliant people in the world and I've asked them that question always. And it's amazing how almost everyone I've ever spoken to admits to it. But anyway, um, I had a big case of that coming in. I was like, I am the first people that they gave me on my team were Harvard MBA, you know, Summa cum laude, Stanford graduates. You know, thoroughbreds. You know, like, thoroughbreds. You know, thoroughbreds. Yeah, it was my first experience, with like, this is what what it's like when everyone around you is fucking brilliant, <laughs> and they all attack problems from different angles. And this one's a, a, an aerospace engineer, and this one is a you know a, a master brand marketer. So I was I had a lot of intimidation when I first got in there, and what I realized um, after you know a, a little while of being there were kind of two lessons. One, people really wanted to listen to me. They wanted, they, they wanted to be led. There were a lot of people that really wanted direction. And um, you know, to give it confidently and to give it with inspiration was something that they really, really wanted. The other was I realized that my second superpower that I didn't really quite know was the ability to take really complex things and turn them into very simple stories. And take That's you know, a really, huge
1: skill. That's a huge superpower
0: yeah and it, it was something that really worked well at Twitter because it was a complex business and a lot of moving parts. and it was my first time really understanding like the workings and the politics of a giant tech organization. Maybe that's 50 percent engineers and you're talking to product people that are brilliant that have invented the product and you're trying to convince them to do a thing, right So like what does that look like? So uh, the, my the, the thing at Twitter that I'm most proud of was actually you know in the first few months there. Which was uh, I met a relationship. Um, I was at a, I was at an event and I met this woman uh, Leslie Burland, who's fast forward today. She's the CMO of. Twitter. Um, so we met at a party, um, uh, Amex party where she worked, and you know we were like, hey, you need to meet each other because she's interested in commerce on Twitter, and you know I'm, I'm I'm there a few months in the role now, maybe maybe two months in the role. And I'm still commuting back and forth because Hetty's pregnant, and I'm in Atlanta, you know, three days a week, and you know, uh, San Francisco, four days a week, and doing all this. So I meet Leslie, and we start talking about this idea of you know, pay with a tweet, or the ability to do savings through tweets. Um, And we were also launching our small business self serve platform, and Amex had an an amazing small business. I mean, they're known for the
1: small business. Mm -hmm.
0: So it was Leslie and I were just talking about it for a while, and then we went right into the plan of attack. How do we get this program off the ground? Digital switching an a- agency that's representing the media buying. I was close with them. They were one player. We had Dick, who was the CEO of Twitter, somebody to, to really get on board, who was another, another player. We had um, Jack, who was actually um, working on the product team, kind of as a product advisor at the t- time, who was another person you had to get on board. Then you had, on the Amex side, you had, you know, CEO of Amex and president, we had all of these players, and it was, uh, it was like going back into the agency world, and Leslie and I literally plotted out all the things we needed to get it done. Short, long story short, we launched at South by Southwest, pay with a tweet where we had Jay-Z perform, uh, coming out of after his first baby, like his, you know, his uh, paternity leave flew into South, South by Southwest, <laughs> And I got to stand up in front of the whole company at Twitter and tell them about this and hype them up and use Jay-Z music. And that was like my first intro to the whole company at once. And it was very strategic and it was my second lesson um, in when you, when you get into a new place, what to do. And that is prove yourself first and then introduce yourself. I
1: love it. Prove yourself first. Don't just come in there and you know no. guns blazing. No, no one yeah, likes like, that. Don't
0: come in and introduce who you are and what you're gonna do. Go in there do something and then tell everybody what you're doing and why that matters and what that means for the future of the company.
1: So fast forward, I mean, you, you spent a couple of really good years, a couple long, longer than that at, at Twitter. Um, what was, you know, what was that impetus? You know, did you get that feeling again that you were on that merry-go-round and it was time to time to look on to greener pastures?
0: Yeah. So it was interesting. Um, you know, Twitter had chapters in and of itself. When of course I was out there it was building the advertising business. We went from a couple hundred thousand in revenue to 2.4 billion in five years. Um, you know, had a had an office uh, had, had around 22 countries where we're managing, you know, all of these teams around the world and traveling around the world and learning about tax structure and opening up offices and just meeting amazing, amazing leaders from around the world. Cause we would hire like, uh, Bruce Daisley, he was the head of YouTube in Europe and now he's leading Twitter and like just meeting all these folks, you know, from Japan to Turkey to Spain, you know, everywhere in between. That was amazing. Um, uh, When Adam Bain actually left Twitter, um, I was also feeling like the winds of change coming and I was really interested in the consumer side of things. And I had the chance to come over to lead the consumer marketing, uh, the the brand strategy for consumer marketing at Twitter. And at the time we were recruiting a CMO and lo and behold, you know, we recruited Leslie. it was like the best full circle relationship ever. I love her to death. Like, yeah, we just, I can't say enough amazing things about her as well. Um, you know, which is interesting looking, looking back in my career, some of my biggest mentors and, and, and people I work with most were women. Um, and yeah, you know, I love that about Moxie early days. And it's just, it's something that's always kind of been part of my, part of my uh, upbringing with my sister and, and now I have two daughters and a wife and mm-hmm. a female cat and a female dog and all <laughs> women all the time in my life. Um, it's not a
1: bad thing, man. It's a great but, thing. You know,
0: I, I feel like it's helped me to become a more empathetic leader and, you know, be a little bit more in touch with um, just, you know, the, 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 the organizational feelings. And I digress. So Twitter, uh, after four years of really killing it in the world of advertising and doing our first upfronts and doing our first, you know, Nielsen Twitter TV deals, and I shot a documentary at Cannes that I was able to present on stage with Sir Patrick Stewart and crazy. Leslie Berlin. I Actually, remember that. Was <laughs>
1: like, I was like, is that you with, with that guy? Yeah, I was like, oh
0: shit, look what Joel's with. We did like, every, I did every possible thing I could have imagined ever at that company. And then on the advertising side, launched their first ever campaigns and won every single advertising award, literally won Clio's, won uh, Grand Prix lions, pencils,
1: lions, gold tigers, and bears—like
0: everything—and it's funny because I've never studied advertising, and my wife, who teaches advertising, <laughs> like you're fucking Forrest Gumping your way through this advertising. You're Forrest Gumping your <laughs> way through. <laughs> yeah, love it. Yeah. In, in a lot of like, you know, with a lot of love behind that statement. Of course, but, um, you know, and that was so. That was it. That was six years, and but there, there, there was a moment. You know, I, 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 I definitely remember the moment, which was I woke up when I was forty. Uh, March 18th. I woke up and this was 2017, turned 40. And I had set a goal at 22 when we first started Moxie. We had this great coach and she was amazing, Sheila, who really got us to talk about what we want from our careers. And one of the things I took away was I want to retire at 40. And I worked towards that. I invested in real estate. I took any money I ever made and really tried to set myself up financially. And then you know, of course, with, with uh, selling the agency. And then, you know, I was really fortunate with Twitter being pre-IPO to IPO, definitely did well. Um, I was in a situation where if I wanted to, I could, um, which was just amazing, like another amazing that, manifested goal. That's crazy. Um, but my, my, my thoughts started shifting to what retirement means, and I look at it more as a diversification of my time. I had started a nonprofit at the time, the um, to boxing tournament? Guardian, yeah. um, Guardian is a nonprofit uh, community center for kids, boxing, jujitsu, um, you know, 250 kids that we serve and we're about to move into a much bigger space that can serve, you know, five times that amount. And that was um, when things were a little bit rough at Twitter, when there is a lot of politics, when you know, people were changing hands and Dick was leaving and Jack was coming in and Game of Thrones style, you know, all the press was reporting on it. I really needed a pure outlet both the creative outlet and something to kind of give. I felt like I've been taking a lot in life. And with my daughter being born, my first daughter, and then my second daughter on the way, I, I thought I need to start giving more. I used to teach camp. I used to, I used to, you know, I was with kids all the time. And I just, it reminded me, my dad was a teacher. He taught kids. Like, so, you know, I digress, but I started Important. Guardian. And it was a great creative project, which is another lesson, which is sometimes when work isn't fulfilling at the moment, because maybe, It's more, you know, bureaucracy and, you know, tough conversations than fun. Start a creative outlet. Start something different, whether it's music or a nonprofit. Find
1: something that makes you happy.
0: Stop going. I love just building. I love creating, and that helped. So, you know, I woke up 40 years old thinking that was 40 years. Um, My dad died, unfortunately, at 62, pretty young. So, you know, I think anyone who's had a, a parent that's died young benchmarks themselves against their lives, and I just thought, that was 40 years what's the next 40 and it's not going to be what the last 40 were so i decided then that i was gonna i was gonna um quit um and i knew when i was gonna do it after ken after we launched our campaigns after everything was taken care of and i transitioned stuff and it's a tough conversation and i left but you know i left to go work on guardian and i left to to start um consulting and working with other startups and diversifying my time and becoming a free agent. And love I did it. that for a year and a half and it was great. Um, but then I felt a calling again.
1: And what was that calling? What was coming your way? It was uh,
0: weed. Weed. That <laughs> weed. <laughs> weed.
1: No, oh, was man. that. I can't believe we can't get away from this stuff. No, we, we love it. So let's, before we talk about NorCal, like, you know, cannabis is interesting, man. I mean, different reasons, different folks for different strokes, and it's just insane to watch the evolution um, in this country. So. How did that relationship start with NorCal? How did that come about?
0: Yeah, so you know, let's put ourselves back about a year and a half, two years ago. Back in the rewind machine. Almost every conversation I had with anyone involved some sort of cannabis, you know, grow or startup or technology company like Ease. And you know, I started investing. I invested in Ease. Um, and I invested in NORCAL through a uh, good friend Ben Kovacs, who's actually our head of sales here. Who is my co-founder at Guardian and worked with me at Twitter. And you know, we're great friends and have been on lots of journeys together now. Um, and he invested, put together an SPV. We all invested in this company. And then I met the company. And um, I just I knew that you know it was another instant. Oh, I see, this is my next, my next career. You my felt next career. That. And the and and the pattern recognition that I had was. Every other part of my chapters, chapters of my career, have been at the beginning of something. So the beginning of digital, like before we knew what it was called. The beginning of social media with Twitter. Like you know, Twitter. People don't remember that Twitter invented in-feed advertising. Like we invented native advertising in-feed that now Facebook does, and and and. Instagram and Snapchat, everyone. We, we invented it, um, so it was the beginning. It was the beginning of social media really impacting culture. And to me, this is now the beginning. Hmm. Now I say the beginning. You know, we stand on the shoulders of giants. We shan't. We stand on the shoulders of activists, and you know, many people have gotten the, the, the California cannabis world to where it is today. And we respect that. Um, that's part of why I love our company. The OGs. But that is. This is the beginning. Um, so that that that's what I realized. I love the beginning of industries.
1: So in such a saturated market, I mean, I may not say that. I mean, it's definitely the Wild West right now, and it's a, it's a big land grab. I mean, what makes NorCal different than all your competitors? What makes you stand out? What was it about this company that you said, not only am I going to invest my money into this, but I'm going to commit my time in a full-time role?
0: Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think it all starts with, like, the heart of the company and, and what we stand for. And... You know, my first assignment was come in and help figure out NorCal's brand, and it was standing right in front of me. Um, Everyone I talked to said, hey, hey," you know, I've been in this industry for 20 years. I've been in black market and mixed market and gray market, medical, people that have dedicated their lives, um, dedicated time in jail, dedicated a lot of loss, um, dedicated a lot of sacrifice, a lot of hustle and a lot of entrepreneurship. And that's, you know, kind of like the strong roots of the company, the strong roots of the industry. And you know, myself coming in here and several other folks that we brought, like, we really believe that, you know, we can take those strong roots, but lead it into the bright future of the industry. So strong roots, bright future, kind of sums up our value proposition. But what that really means is we want to be the people that usher cannabis from where it was to where it's going. And that is something that's very difficult. And when I looked around at NorCal, I realized we have done the really difficult things really well. We have you know, 130,000 square foot uh, indoor facilities where we grow premium, premium flour and um, incredible manufacturing and packaging. But we just didn't really have a handle on brands and how to bring brands to market. And that was, you know, that was an opportunity for me. So I looked at this as a creative playground of multiple brands, house of brands, retail, new industry. And I'm, I'm convinced that what we do in the next five years to talk about cannabis Will impact the next hundred for how we talk about it, and that—that that to me is like, you know, there's no better value proposition to a new job or career than that.
1: That's incredible. I mean, you have that fire back.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was it. You know, um, the the fire, uh, literally eye of the tiger. I was thinking about that. I was like, that well, sounds. Just- now, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just like, yeah, that's it. You know, you need you need that. Like retirement sounds nice. Um, I love my family. I love. I love lots of things. I record music still, I'm, you know, I'm an artist. Like I just, I love a lot of things in life, but that drive that you get from achieving and building and growing something, especially with a group of people, um, getting back to operating, that, that to me is everything.
1: That's, that's incredible. So let's shift that a little bit. Let's talk about, you know, how you balance it, right? Like how do you balance work, family, fitness, music, mindfulness? I mean, you, you and I were talking about this, you know, your, your shift in your, in your diet too. Like how do you keep it all together?
0: yeah um good question um it, keeping it together is my medicine I've realized um you know I have, I have a, a great person who talked to me about this which is i I can't choose to just let something be lopsided I just I can't because you know I, I've got a family I really love um, friends I really love uh, you know a career I really love a nonprofit I really love like music I really love lots of things so right many. so Integration has always been the most important goal for me. Just how to integrate it, and I used to believe that the cycle of of your career and life were something that you know you could have two or three months that were incredibly crazy, and then you have to have like a month or so that is not. And that worked for a while until I realized, like especially in an industry like cannabis, where it's every industry coming together. It's you know it's, it's all the pieces. seasonality, of retail, the seasonality of agriculture, the you know just such demands what I realized is it's about daily integration and, you know, for me, and this has been a long journey. Like you knew me in college, I've always been like heavier. I've always been like somebody that, you know, I've had really bad knees. I've had, I've had major knee surgeries. Like I've lived with you know pain I've lived with, with a lot of weight in my life. And um, what I realized is it's all about mental health and clarity. So, you know, as, as, uh, as everyone will tell you today, like learning how to meditate, you know, doing, um, Kundalini yoga that really teaches me how to kind of not just med- med- meditate but breathe actively and Breathing it's is physical. Yeah, like, I need to do some form of exercise in the morning—Peloton or or lift weights. Um, have to do it. It gets my head straight. It's my gets medicine. the blood flowing. Yeah, and then I need to—you know—the other thing that came to me is as I've gotten older is I just need to eat more plants. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I'm not a vegan, but I'm I'm close. Like, I'll, I'll eat meat once a week or so, but and that's a shift that I'd never believed I could ever make. And what I realized is a combination of exercise, mindfulness and eating, right? If I do that, I can do anything. Um, it really makes everything much, much better. And I, you, know, you talked about Gary V before, like, I loved watching, you know, I knew Gary, when I first got to Twitter, we did a bunch of stuff together and it was great. And he called, he like transformed his body and transformed his exercise regime. And you, no, no coincidence, I think that as that was happening, his profile, his hustle, his career was just going like this. And he doesn't talk just, too it, much.
1: He doesn't talk enough about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I his, his his, yeah, it, it's how amazing, how it but cost? I watched, I watched it happen and I watched him get increasingly productive. And, you know, I would just say that it's something that like, it's so obvious, but maybe it takes being 42 or older to understand, which is, it's all connected. Your, your mind, your body, your spirit, your, your, your gratitude, like it's all connected. You can't you know, we, we've convinced ourselves that like you can separate and compartmentalize things, but you can't. What,
1: what would, what would 42 year old Joel say to 22 year old Joel right now?
0: Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I, it would say come back from Vegas. Um, <laughs> stop now. He, he, he would say that um, I actually wouldn't say anything to myself. I, I, would, I, don't, I wouldn't want to fuck it up. Uh, Cause no. I wouldn't believe it and I wasn't ready to live it. And I would, I would probably just like watch, you know, I, I'd be one of those ghosts in the movies that just you know, peeks around, but doesn't want to change the future.
1: I love it. That's fucking awesome. But I, would,
0: I would say 16 like, year old Joel or 12 year old Joel <laughs> is, like, you won't always be in poverty. Um, you won't, you know, you dream bigger than you think you can dream. Cause at the goal at, at the time, you know, I, I, I didn't even know how to make a goal. Um, so I would, you know, that's what I would say to a much younger me is just like, believe that you could actually dream bigger and there's more out there than you know.
1: I love it, man. Joel, what what do you envision as your legacy that you wanna leave behind? How do you, when, when your time comes on this earth, how do, how do you want people to remember you?
0: Yeah, you know, so it's interesting. And like our conversation the other day got me thinking about this too. You know, when I left Twitter, um, when I left Moxie, um, i describe it as like what the Romans say is like a hero's death, you know, like, I was like I, the amount of love pouring out, the amount of people that sent me emails that I sent them and said, "This email made me think about, you know, how I manage people differently." Or that time you gave me that advice that did this thing. Or I can't believe you helped me out and got me to this thing that changed my career. And I don't think about those things in the moment. I just like I really want to get. I I really believe it's my duty to, to 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 give to serve. Like that's maybe it's the Jew in me. It's like <laughs> you have to <laughs> serve. That's what you're supposed to do. You know, um, but. I don't think it's a legacy. It's, you know, living on in the lives of other people that can remember that time that that person was kind or put them in the right direction or said that thing that made a difference. And, you know, now with kids, it's a whole other story because like that's my everyday project, <laughs> but Every day. that's a legacy I want to leave. It's just like, um, you know, somebody that humbly gave people direction that could hopefully put them in without, without wanting something back.
1: That's, that's fantastic. And the question that I, that I ask every guest, what, what is the greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on daily? It's a good question. Um,
0: so I received this, uh, advice years ago, but I haven't really started taking action on it daily until uh, maybe a couple years ago, which is, um, that you have to practice gratitude and you have to turn your um you have to turn your expectations um into gratitude so you can't just expect that everything happens you can't you you can't take for granted that you know i can't take for granted that you know somebody did a great job just because they're being paid for it you can't take for granted that you know even though maybe the day was crazy i get to come home and have have a beautiful life like you have to practice gratitude just like you have to work out just like you have to practice anything else to get good at. And when you're feeling gratitude, you can't feel other feelings. It's, it's like just literally the solve for everything. So I've been told about that a long time. Uh, it's got kind of John Hall, who was actually my first, one of my first bosses at exceed. Um, but I didn't understand it until 20 something years later.
1: That's incredible. And Joel, last but not least, not every,
0: not expectations into appreciation. That was it. Awesome. And
1: it's great, and and last but not least, like not every day is gonna be sunshine and rainbows. Not every day is gonna be fucking incredible. And there's days you like days, weeks, months that like suck, and you gotta dig down deep, and you gotta look inside, and you gotta look up. And then on the flip side of that, when you wanted to show gratitude, what what pulls you up,
0: Joel? Joel, what what is your north star? Yeah, it's it's my family. It's my kids, my girls. It's it's um yeah, it's that it's family. Family first, I love it. Joel, thank you. You can of the word family, right? Like you, so. It's thank awesome, you. man.
1: And we gotta get the girls together soon. We're gonna, we're gonna get out there. We're gonna do more. 2000 and 2021, we're gonna start taking these road trips. We're gonna, we're gonna come out west. I feel like the girls are just gonna like, Sounds just good. get into some crazy shit, man. Joel, thank you for coming on. Thank you, good to see you take care. And closing thoughts. You know, mentors manifest in so many ways. They could be super close and hands on or mentor from afar and lead by example. And from day one when I met Joel, assuming it was at a smoky basement at a party somewhere in Buffalo, some place that should be condemned, the fire marshal like should just shut it down, he was someone that I looked up to. And he led by example then and as he does now. And he set a professional standard for success and integrity that I strive towards and I thank him for that. And Joel truly understands today's modern marketing and social media how to communicate and earn attention. And I applaud him for his own self-awareness professionally as he turns the pages in each chapter in his career and personally, building the life and family that he's always dreamed about. Joel, thank you for always being there for me and thank you for being an ear. Thank you for being someone I could reach out to and helping me along my journey. I appreciate it deeply. You're welcome, thank you. Joel, where could folks find you? Where could they connect with you?
0: Yeah, J-O-E-L-L on Twitter, Um, keep up. Awesome.
1: Good stuff. This is definitely one of my favorite interviews. I love it. I can't wait to get it out there. And to everyone listening, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Remember to click, link, subscribe, comment, share it. This one's awesome. Remember, take your online offline. Thank you for joining us and catch us next week on another great episode of the podcast.
0: Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode jam packed with more incredible humans. For more info, please visit www.nhptalentgroup.com.